welcome to Down There Aware, a podcast bringing attention to gynecologic cancers in women's healthcare. Disclaimer, we cover many topics which some may find uncomfortable, and while we feel it is an important conversation to have, we understand it may not be for everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Down There Aware. I'm Alex. And I'm Mary, Alex's mama. And today we have a very special guest for Gynecologic Cancer Awareness Month. Um, we have Johanna Holler, who is a vulvar cancer survivor and advocate. She is the founder of Vulvar Cancer Awareness Forum, a nonprofit organization. VCAF focuses on raising awareness and educating on all things vulvar cancer and provides support to those who have been diagnosed. Johanna also actively advocates and lobbies for new vulvar cancer research research and treatment advancements, as most of what we know about this cancer is based on outdated information. Thank you so much for joining us today, Johanna. And um, we'll just go ahead and get right started. So we know you were diagnosed with vulvar cancer. How did you receive your diagnosis? Well, I received my diagnosis after a biopsy, but I wish it would have just been as simple as uh, getting a biopsy after having some symptoms and then getting the diagnosis. But unfortunately, it was a seven-year battle for me to even get to the point of a biopsy. Um, For seven years, doctors had brushed me off, um, misdiagnosed me, unfortunately, several times, and uh, even told me I needed a psych consultation, that nothing was really wrong with me. And so for seven years, I went on with uh, the symptoms just getting worse and worse to the point of physical agony, daily pain, daily physical sufferings until I said to myself, you know what, this is it. Um, I can't take this anymore and I'm not taking this anymore. It's time to fight for myself. So I literally had to fight for about six to seven months to finally get a doctor to agree to do a biopsy. And at that point, I was told they were only going to do it to shut me up because I really don't need one. Oh, my word. Yes, yes. So um, after about two weeks... um, I was supposed to get the biopsy results and they had told me that they had the results, but they were sent to an additional lab for confirmation. And I asked what that meant at this point, what were the results? And nobody really wanted to say anything. Finally, another five days later, I received a phone call from a completely different doctor's office that was within the same health network where I you know, sought um, medical care. And they said they were called and advised to bring me in for, to give me my biopsy results. And I was confused because I said, wait, I've never been to you. I've never seen you guys. Um, What's going on? Long story short, I went, I got the results. I was told I had vulva cancer. And to make a long story short, they could not face me once the biopsy results came in and forwarded my entire case to a different doctor. Oh, wow. wow. That is, I mean, you know, we talk a lot about being our own advocates and um, it's so wonderful that you um, were able to do that. But what a shame that no one listened to you for seven years. 
Can you share a little bit about what symptoms you had that gave you cause for concern? Oh, sure. So it initially started with just a simple itch. And I did not think anything of it at first, um, thinking maybe the soap I was using or the laundry um, laundry detergent. And I began to change up soaps, switch up laundry detergents and different things like that. And I didn't notice any difference. So I thought, hey, must be a yeast infection. Let's go to the drugstore, get something over the counter, try that out. And it didn't work. Um, The itch just became worse. And and I can't even describe this itch. It's so persistent to the point where it almost drives you crazy. Mm. And then after some time, I think it was about a year of just this itch that kept getting worse and worse and worse. And one morning I woke up and my vulva, um, the outer, you know, genital area was swollen almost three times its size and hurting and burning. Mm. And my mom took me to the emergency room at the time. And again, even at that point, I was brushed off and, oh, it's just a yeast infection. You need uh, prescription medication and that's it. But unfortunately, that wasn't it. So from this itch to the swelling, to the pain and the burning, um, it progressed to uh, bleeding. And after I began to just examine myself on that part of my body, I saw these white lesions. And these white lesions began to ulcerate. So the bleeding was not vaginally, you know, like a menstrual bleeding that was abnormal, but from those ulcerating lesions on the outside. And so those lesions began began to grow. They kept getting bigger. Then next thing I know, from two, we went to three lesions, to four lesions, and they all were ulcerating. So after seven years, the symptoms were pain, burning, itching, bleeding, um, even soreness in my groin area, um, which at the time my doctor explained later was due to inflammation that just kept spreading. So Mm. those were the symptoms by the time I was diagnosed. And so I I didn't remember um, when you were initially telling us, did you have to request a biopsy or did some doctor finally say, we need to biopsy this? No, I requested the biopsy um, because I felt now vulva cancer. Let me say this vulva cancer never crossed my mind because I had never heard of vulva cancer Mm -hmm. until the day I sat in front of a doctor and was told that's what I have. Wow. So cancer never crossed my mind. I just figured that whatever it is, a biopsy will show Mm -hmm. without a doubt what we're dealing with, because at this time we have treated three different conditions and none of them was it. So, and at that time when I requested my first biopsy, I was told I don't need it. I don't need it. Mm. I just need to keep using the ointments they prescribed to me and I must be using the ointments wrong. And basically they tried to put the blame on me. Like I'm not using the medications right and, and things of that sort. Wow. That's just, you know, it's so crazy that when you go to a doctor and you say, 
this is weird with my body. This is not a normal thing. I'm experiencing some really uncomfortable symptoms. Can you help me out? You you want to mm-hmm. trust them, right? Because that's their specialty. They went to school for so long for it. But man, you had to wait so long. So at what stage were you diagnosed? You know, waiting for seven years, I imagine mm-hmm. it had progressed. Yes. Unfortunately, by that time, I had stage three vulva cancer. Mm. Oh, I'm so, so sorry. It, thank you so much. Um, the sad thing is that along those seven years, I was diagnosed with a condition called lichen sclerosis. Um, this is basically an anti-inflammatory condition as well as autoimmune disease that can affect a woman's outer genital area, which causes some of the symptoms I had experienced. Mm. Now, the problem with that diagnosis was that they had never done a biopsy to confirm that diagnosis. It was basically just a matter of, okay, the first two, three diagnoses didn't seem to be it. After looking at it visually, this must be it. Now, lichen sclerosis has the potential to lead to vulva cancer, but they never considered it nor did they educate me that it has the potential to do that. So had they done the biopsy way back, they could have found the cancer in its beginning stages because my gynecological oncologist said when I got to him, based on the progression of the disease, that cancer had to have been present anywhere between six to eight years prior to my diagnosis. Oh, wow. Oh, that's just so frustrating. But I'm so glad that you finally got your diagnosis. And so what was or is your current treatment plan? Okay, so I was diagnosed in December 2017. Um, The treatment plan at the time was a surgery. Uh, My doctor had believed that one surgery could rid me of all the cancer. The surgery was a radical vulvectomy, which means um, a portion of the vulva would be removed and, you know, to accomplish clear margins. So I had that surgery and unfortunately we did not get clear margins. That's when we found out that the cancer was, you know, further uh, progressed than we initially thought. So I had a second surgery, a second radical valvectomy with lymph node dissection to see if it had spread to the lymph nodes. At the time things were clear. More surgeries followed. So to make a long story short, I had 12 surgeries over the course of two years in an attempt to spare me from pelvic radiation and chemo, given that I'm still a young woman with no children who had the desire to have a child. We tried to avoid the route of radiation and chemo to keep my uterus and ovaries functional. Sadly, um, in December of last year, the cancer had spread to my right groin lymph nodes. Mm. So 
radiation and chemo could not be avoided any longer. So this year in February, I began seven weeks of aggressive radiation and chemotherapy, which I completed on March 20th. And in June, I had my first follow-up scan, which resulted in no evidence of disease. Awesome. Yay, that's awesome. amazing. Oh, man. Thank you. Wow. Seven years it's been a long journey. Yeah, yes. seven years after diagnosis, 12 surgeries. That's unreal. Yes. And in yes. such a sensitive area that... You know, you can put your arm in a sling, but you have right. to use your genitalia to go to the bathroom. Right. And oh, I cannot imagine. It, it was been- it was hard. Yeah, it, it was hard. Some surgeries had been a little less aggressive than others, but um, one of the biggest ones that I went through was in December 2018, which was a complete removal of my entire vulva or what remained of it, including some of the areas that we had already operated on prior to that as it continued to spread under the scars. Mm. And because they removed my remaining vulva and have in its entirety, I needed reconstructive surgery to close the area. So it was a nine hour long surgery. And I think that recovery was the hardest out of them all. All the surgeries were hard, but that one was the hardest out of them all because I was in the hospital for almost an entire month. Oh. Um, couldn't even walk at first, needed physical therapy. And it's amazing. We don't think that a small part, especially the genital area, could affect our body in such ways. But what many don't know is that the vulva itself has over 8,000 nerves and nerve endings in it. Mm -hmm. So to undergo such an aggressive surgery, you basically affect every single nerve there is. Mm -hmm. So you have number one, the pain, but secondly, you affect function, not only in the genital area, but your legs and everything, because everything is connected. Our entire nervous system is connected. Yeah. So, yeah. Man, that, I cannot even imagine. Bless you for getting through all of that. Can you help us understand the um, timeline about when you first had symptoms and then um, at at what age and then at what age you had the diagnosis? I think that might help our listeners Mm -hmm. um, be more aware at any age. Oh, sure. So I was diagnosed at the age of 36 But the first symptoms of the itch, even before I began to seek medical attention, was around the age of 28, 29, around that area. So I would say 28. So that was the first symptom, the itch. And then Mm -hmm. over the course of seven years, up until the age of 36, that itch progressed to... um, what I said earlier, the pain, the burning, the bleeding, the ulcerating lesions, the spread of it. So by the time I was 36, I received my diagnosis. And I am 39 now. So over the course of the past two and a half years, that's when um, 
you know, treatment took place by ways of surgeries at first. So 12 surgeries concluding mm. with um, seven weeks of radiation and chemotherapy. Wow. So from so from 20, 28 to 39, so 11 years I've been dealing with this. Oh, wow. That is a long road for sure. <laughs> yes. Um, so help our listeners understand, because we, you know, my experience is with endometrial cancer. And so mm-hmm. um, help our listeners understand a little bit. What are the, um, are there any pre-existing uh, risk factors for vulvar cancer or family mm-hmm. history or what um, what can they you know be more aware of okay so in the research well which I which you read in my bio which is outdated in the research they have not found a genetic connection yet which I believe there is one just speaking to a lot of vulva cancer uh, survivors um, they found that they had you know some were in their family line, um, somebody that had it. But uh, some other risk factors that are not really talked about is HPV. Uh, The human papillomavirus has the potential to lead to vulva cancer. But before it leads to vulva cancer, it mostly leads to a condition called vulvar intrapathereal neoplasia, or they call it VIN in short, which is a precancerous condition. This condition, VIN, like 98% of the time resulted... Uh, from HPV. Mm. If VIN is left untreated, it will in many cases lead to vulva cancer. So HPV, then the condition that I was diagnosed with, which I mentioned earlier, lichen sclerosis, Mm -hmm. which is an autoimmune condition as well as inflammatory condition. um, That one has the potential to lead to vulva cancer. They say the chances that lichen sclerosis leads to vulva cancer are very rare. However, out of 600 women who I have uh, um, come in contact with by ways of the support group I lead, at least 70% of them have lichen sclerosis. Wow. Yes. So then they say smoking is a risk factor and age is a risk factor. But I am hesitant to say that age is a risk factor. They say women 65 and up are at a higher risk. I am hesitant to really use that particular um, risk factor because I have come in contact with so many young women that have this disease and the vulva cancer support group that I lead, the majority of those women are actually under 40 to 50 years old. So again, it leads back to this being outdated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's exactly what Alex has found with endometrial cancer, that mm-hmm. the data is outdated, saying that most women who get it are postmenopausal. And mm-hmm. that, unfortunately, has allowed doctors to kind of be tunnel visioned about what they look at when they're looking at a patient. They dismiss that because it's outdated data like yours. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it's, it's really sad. And I realized that, 
most of the advocating comes from patient, like advocate yep. advocacy for change, to mm -hmm. bring things up to date, to get greater research. And, and it's really, really sad. And even most of the education that's being put out for vulva cancer or endometrial cancer and other little talked about gynecological diseases, comes really from patients alone. You don't see many doctors that educate and spread awareness and, and really try to bring things up to date. And it's sad. It's really sad. What part, um, where do you live? I live in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Okay. So I am on the Northeast coast. And have you have you had any trouble finding specialists in your area? Have you had to travel outside your area for gynecologic mm -hmm. um, uh, gynecologists or oncologists? Mm -hmm. Well, there is a gynecological oncologist right in my city that um, apparently treats vulva cancer. However, I chose to go outside of my area and travel about an hour and a half away simply because this doctor had such an amazing reputation um, not just as far as bedside manners is concerned, but knowledge in the medical field and had a greater experience with this cancer than the one in my area. And I'm really glad that I made that decision because uh, he is he's truly an amazing doctor. And I don't think if it was for him that I would actually still be here because in March, I almost died. Um, things got really bad in March. But um, thank God for you know, great doctors in wisdom. <laughs> so, mm. yeah. So that was a result of the treatment that you had? Yes. Such yes. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Treatment uh, was really, really hard on my body. Uh, chemotherapy, which was really kind of odd. This particular chemotherapy drug that I received um, is considered one of the milder ones compared to others. And it should not even have... Um, made me as sick as it did. Yes, we expected some side effects, but it made me so severely neutropenic to the point where I almost had no more white blood cells left. Mm. Wow. And yeah, my doctor said to me later on at my first follow-up appointment, he said, girl, you had us worried. We wasn't sure if you were pulling through. <laughs> wow. Well, so, it's a good thing yeah. you had him in your car. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. It's so important to have such a good team and to build that around you. So looking yes. back, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Over mm -hmm. the last 11 years, what would you tell yourself um, or what would you do differently if you could, you know, give advice to someone who might be getting that first itch? Mm -hmm. um, my advice would be to immediately seek medical attention, but specifically request a biopsy from the get-go. Um, what I would have done different is I wish I would have fought for myself sooner. I wish I would have just from the beginning stood up for myself more because at the time I just trusted the words of the doctors. And please don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to say that everyone should doubt what their doctors are saying. 
but I just wish I would have stood up for myself sooner, fought for myself sooner and advocated for myself sooner. So to anybody that is experiencing an itch um, or pain in their outer genital area that is abnormal, um, I would say seek medical attention, request a biopsy. Now, the problem is that a lot of doctors will deny a biopsy and say it's not needed. And if that happens, my advice would be to ask them to document their refusal in Mm. your chart. Because most doctors uh, rather go ahead and do the biopsy instead of documenting their refusal because that could be used to sue them later down the line potentially. So ask them to document their refusal in your chart and then take it from there. Also, if you are not satisfied with your medical care, seek a second opinion. If you must seek a third opinion or a fourth opinion until you find a doctor who takes you serious and who you are comfortable with, whose treatment plan you're comfortable with, and then move on from there. That's such great advice. Great and it's, advice. You know, not only do you need to be comfortable with them, but you need someone who believes you and who's in your corner. Yes. And just like you said earlier in the episode, you know, a biopsy will be definitive, right? It'll just show yes, yes or no. Yes. This is what this is. This is what this not is not. And so, you know, it it really would just ease your mind, and it it just blows my mind how. I mean, a biopsy is relatively in, uh, non-invasive. It's relatively mm-hmm. simple to perform. And so why not? If we can have a definitive test that says, yes, this is it or no, this isn't it. Why not just do it? Right. Exactly. And and that's what's so mind boggling to me. Something so simple, a simple test, a tiny little sample of tissue that can just reveal everything that's happening. It, it, it's really mind boggling, which is why I do what I do, which is why I started the Vulva Cancer Awareness Forum to make sure that people have access to this kind of information to let them know what to ask for, guide them through the process. And I'm so thankful that I have been able to do that over the past couple of years. Um, It's really like, I'm a firm believer that anything that happens to us in life, good or bad, we have the potential to use it for some productive and for purpose. And so this has become my mission, mm-hmm. you know, educating women, creating awareness, empowering them to take charge of their lives, their health, their bodies. Well, it's because of people like you that the word is getting out. And, you know, those 600 people who you've come in contact with and, um, you know, taken up their data and talked with them and helped them um, advocate for themselves and to, um, you know, just to be a support for them. You are definitely serving your mission well. Thank you so much. (laughs) Let me ask another question about um, Mm -hmm. early on the doctors you were you saw initially um, when you had symptoms. Were they your primary care doctor? Was it an OBGYN? Um, What was Mm -hmm. there a specialty? And and I only ask that because I think people, um, if they have something going on, they're not really sure about they don't know where to go. Mm-hmm. Yes. So initially, it was my primary care physician. Um, then after a while, I was referred to a gynecologist um, who then just diagnosed with a um, 
yeast infection and sent me back to my primary care physician with a prescription for a yeast infection medication. Now, my advice though would be if someone experiences symptoms to immediately ask for a referral for a gynecologist. That will cut out a lot of the back and forth that I went through in the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. As as Alex said earlier, hindsight is twenty twenty. I wish I would have cut out a lot of that process and back and forth. So should you have symptoms, see your primary care physician if you have to get a referral to see a specialist and then get a referral for a gynecologist uh, who then you know, can perform a biopsy and should it come back as vulva cancer, you should request a referral uh, for a gynecological oncologist. I think that information will help people mm-hmm. to cut out the early mm-hmm. stages like you were talking about. Yes. I think that will help people. Absolutely. Yes. Well, I just want to thank you so much for joining us today. This has been so informative. I've learned so much. You know, I um, when I was first diagnosed, I didn't really know that endometrial cancer existed. And then I started doing research and I didn't know there were five types of gynecologic cancer. So I'm really excited to be, um, you know, bringing forward that uh, September is gynecologic uh, Mm -hmm. cancer awareness month. So thank you for helping us, you know, get the word out about that. Um, You can find Johanna on uh, Instagram at vulvar cancer awareness, as well as on Facebook, facebook.com slash vulvar cancer awareness forum. Um, We'll have all of this information on our website as well. So um, thank you for joining us. We just appreciate you so, so much and wish you well on your journey. Um, Um, And just celebrate that you are currently no evidence of disease, which is phenomenal. Thank you you so much. much. I I just want to say to you, I'm Mm -hmm. a career teacher and I feel like I've just sat through a master class. I have learned so much from you and you're doing that for so many people. So um, bless you. I'm just thrilled that we're able to get this information out and and that's all because of you. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Um, I really feel humbled by your words. Thank you. I really appreciate that you guys allowed me to come on and share this information and share a part of my story. Thank you so much. And thank you for what you do to bring awareness and education to others. It's so important. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Down There Aware. This month is Gynecologic Cancer Awareness Month, and every Monday we will be bringing you a new story of a different kind of gynecologic cancer from a survivor. Also this month, we are raising money for the Foundation for Women's Cancer. You can find links to the fundraiser on our Facebook page. In addition to whatever is raised in our Facebook fundraiser, we will be donating $1 for every listen we get in the month of September. So be sure to share our Instagram posts, our Facebook posts, and links to the podcast to all of your friends so that we can raise as much money as possible for the Foundation for Women's Cancer. Also, we want to encourage all of our listeners to wear purple for gynecologic cancer awareness next Monday, September 14th. Just in seven days, we want to see all of our listeners in purple. Be sure to 
snap a selfie and tag us in your posts on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Be sure to wear purple on the 14th of September and donate on our Facebook page for the Foundation for Women's Cancer. Thanks for listening.